Welcome to the OSHA for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teens. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of OSHA for Teens and its accompanying workshop kit and curriculum. This super easy to facilitate, life-changing material is being used by folks just like you throughout the United States and beyond. Head to OSHIFT.com and choose one of the many ways you can become involved in this worldwide movement. Well, hope your winter is going well. It's been awfully cold this winter. In fact, record number of days that they've closed the schools down around here in Portland, um, which could be a problem for a lot of parents. It's like, I've got to go to work. I can get to work, but my kids are staying home so what to do? Uh, that could be a dilemma for a lot of parents, especially if you have teenagers that might be up to no good. Hopefully you're not in that situation. Um, but, you know, that's what we're here for is to help you to have better ideas of how to raise your teens and uh, give you help in that regard. And that's what we're all about. Well, this week I'm kind of excited. I've got a uh, special guest from he right here in the Northwest, only my, I think my second guest who's from the Northwest, Dina Corso. In fact, she works for Multnomah County, the biggest county in Portland, Oregon, and she works with uh, corrections. And she is just such a lovely personality. I really like Dean. I met her a couple of years ago, and we, we hit it off right away. And recently I asked if she wanted to be a guest. She said she's trying to uh, find more opportunities to sort of get out there and get the message out. So she said, okay, I'll do it. And she joined me for a short conversation just a little while ago. We talked about that topic, which was sort of how much trouble should you allow your teens to get in? I mean, how much is sort of normal teen behavior and, and what, when does it start to become deviant behavior and something that you should be worried about? So it's a great conversation. I think a lot of us as parents, we sort of worry that any signs of trouble, if our kid starts hanging around with somebody that we don't like or they make a mistake, we start to freak out. Um, so Dina was a great guest and we, we talk about that very topic. I think it's going to be very interesting for all of you who are raising teens or working with teens. So let's get right to that conversation that I had just a while ago with Dina Corso. My guest today is Dina Corso. Dina Corso is the director of the Juvenile Services Division for Multnomah County here in Portland, Oregon, and has been involved in juvenile justice for 25 years. She's committed to reducing racial and ethnic disparities in the juvenile justice system and is a national expert on evidence-based practices related to juvenile probation supervision and treatment for juvenile offenders. She's been an active leader in the implementation of numerous evidence-based initiatives and has been a strong supporter of the work that we're doing with the OSHIP for Teens workshop kits. Dina Corso, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Mark. You know, when I emailed you the other day, I reminded you, I think we met a couple of years ago at the American Probation and Parole Association Conference in Tampa. We did. That's true. <laughs> Watching uh, the, the Ducks game, in the, playing in the Rose Bowl, if I remember correctly. Uh, oh, yeah, and they, they didn't do so well. Yeah, we try not to remember that part. <laughs> we had to go all the way to Tampa to meet, you know. <laughs> it, it was all worth it. You do what you got to do, right? Right, right, right. Well I, well, I appreciate you being on the show today. I'm excited about the topic that you've picked uh, because I think that a lot of people 
you know, I, well, let me, let me get right to it. Now, my listeners know that I send out a list of potential topic questions for us to talk about. That way, you can kind of pick the one that you want to talk about. The topic that you chose was, when should we be worried about our teen's behavior? I love this as a topic because I think so many parents are so monitoring their kids, and they see them doing, you know, hanging around with people that maybe they don't approve of or doing things that, gosh, we did, but we, you know, pretend that our kids shouldn't do, and we sort of freak out. What was it about this topic that you decided you wanted to talk about? Well, I think this topic is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, because I think people really don't understand the juvenile justice system and the sort of sorting that we do about who's really appropriate to be served in the juvenile justice system and who are just kids that are acting like teenagers, but they're not really, they're not criminals. They're not really at risk of harming people. Uh, sometimes just do dumb kid things at the, at the risk right. of just putting it out there. But there's really a science to figuring out what's normal adolescent behavior and what really is behavior that can be either harmful to the young person themselves. No, I, I think all of us could remember you know, doing, when we were teens, if we haven't like completely blocked that period of our lives out, we can remember doing things that were maybe not so smart uh, and even, uh, if not risky, illegal. True. And, <laughs> and there's a difference between doing things that are, that are illegal and really being a, a criminal right, or a delinquent kid that is going to, that's going down a path of really derailing from uh, a pro-social life and becoming a drain on society rather than a contributing member of society. And I think that's right. the interesting thing about adolescence is that it is a period of risk-taking. It's normal. If you read anything about adolescent brain development, for example, it's normal for young people to be uh, risk takers, to be experimenting with identities, to be um, trying out different friend groups, to be trying even experimenting with drinking or, or smoking marijuana. Those are actually sort of normal things that, that teenagers can do that doesn't make them alcoholics and drug addicts and it doesn't make them criminals. It, it makes them sort of teenagers that are trying out different personas and as they become adults. Right. And that's probably, I mean, historically, it's probably part of our survival as a species to have that age when we are taking risks or sort of stepping out on our own, forming our own identity and doing things, you know, to see, to test our own boundaries. Absolutely. And if, and, and as parents, we should really embrace that because otherwise our children would never leave home. <laughs> they would never right. feel brave enough to get out in the world and away from mom and dad and try and make it as an independent young adult in the world. Okay. So, that's, so that brings up the question, though. I mean, as a parent or as a teacher, as somebody who's you know, monitoring these kids, how much should we crack down or, or should we be more kind of complacent about it and say, ah, no, it's a big, not, not a big deal. It's, it's teens being teens. Right. I think that like everything with parenting, there's not really a cookie cutter answer. I think there's, first of all, you need to know your own, your own kid 
and how yeah. um, where that line is for them. Some are small risk takers and some are big risk takers, and it is our job to provide a safety net. So we don't want them to get so far out there that they're going to hurt themselves or they're going to hurt other people. So drawing lines in the sand about, for example, getting in a car with a driver who's been drinking, that's really important. We need to communicate that to our kids because that can have uh, life-changing consequences. Um, and at the same time, we do have to, after we've laid that foundation, have some trust that our kids are going to make good choices and, and walk that balancing act between um, trust but also um, letting them know where we stand, letting them know what our concerns and worries are for them, letting them know, you know, if you get into trouble, you can come, you know, call me, no questions asked, I will come pick you up, that kind of thing. So I think it's a balancing right. act. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter answer to that. Yeah, well, and, and I think one of the things that, and I like what you just said about, you know, you can call me anytime. That's a, it sounds similar to a conversation I had with my son because we know we, we were drinking, I don't know about you, but I was drinking in Rock Springs, Wyoming when I was a minor. And, um, you know, I, I survived it. So I don't know if I can go to my son and say, you should never do that. I think it's, it's going to happen. Um, maybe not all kids will do it, but many do. And so saying, hey, listen, if that's, if that's the direction you take it, call me up if you get in a situation. I never want you – the main thing is I want you to be safe, and I never want you getting in a car uh, if you've been drinking or somebody else has been drinking and they're the driver. I, I love that approach. I think it's very important. However, I think a lot of parents worry that that is somehow condoning drinking. Is that a message that says, you know, I don't really mind if you drink? I do understand why people feel that way. I, for me, I think that it's, a bal again, that balancing act. I, I think the extreme is the parents who provide alcohol and a place for their kids to invite all their friends over and, and drink at their house. And I've talked to these parents uh, who, right. have, uh, who have those sorts of, I'd rather have them doing it at my house where I know they're safe kind of attitude. And I can't, I can't, I think that's condoning drinking, right? Making it available, right. making it, giving everybody a place to get rip roaring drunk. Um, that to me is the extreme. Uh, I think um, the middle ground is letting your teenager know, I love you and I want you to be safe. And that's the most important thing. And if you find yourself in a situation where you or your friends have been drinking and you can't, be, get home safely. I will come pick you up. I don't care what time it is, where you're at, you know, because I love you and want you to be safe. This is my commitment to you. And, and I think that's sort of the middle ground between you right. can never drink versus uh, I'm going to let you have parties at my house. And, and finding that middle ground. I, what I wonder sometimes is the middle ground, does it sort of change as they're getting older? And I feel like that may be one of the biggest challenges uh, for parents is you know, as my kid's getting older, my hands-on approach isn't working as much, so I have to sort of gradually let go a little bit and let this kid, you know, take chances on their own. Right. I learned this lesson, although I'm not, I'm, I don't profess to have perfected it, but when my children were in preschool and in Montessori, Montessori preschool, and I learned from the preschool teacher, uh, every time you do something for your child that they can do for themselves, you rob them of the opportunity to be independent. And I think, <laughs> well, you know, that still fits, even when they're teenagers, right? And so, yeah. again, in the context of providing a safety net, so just like you wouldn't let your infant go down the stairs without you 
sitting or standing right there, you know, ready to catch them if they fall, um, you still want your baby to learn how to go up and down stairs, right? So you give them the opportunity to do that, but you're creating the safety net. I think it's the same with teenagers that you want to give them an opportunity to um, make good choices and sometimes make bad choices, and, and there can be consequences to those, but it doesn't mean that you uh, – I mean, you need to be the safety net. You need to give them opportunities to be independent, to grow, to try out new things, but also not just leave them hanging. You know, it's interesting, and I've, I've probably said it on this show before, but I used to teach leadership uh, when I taught high school, and I found that um, a lot of the kids were in the leadership program. Now, this, this program was really about we, – we had leaders in the program. It wasn't necessarily just a leadership development. We would select leaders to be in the program. So these kids were, you know, they were, they were pretty much doing – they were doing um, good things for the school, making good decisions. However, what I found with most of the parents, they were actively involved in, like, the school, the PTA. They would show up to uh, chaperone dances. However, they were uh, – they allowed more independence for the kids, too, than your average parent. It was, a, it was an interesting blend. It was like, I'm here, I'm here to support you, to give you whatever you need, but I'm not here to micromanage you. And I, right. I, I just I found it very interesting because, as I said, this was a group of kids that were doing reasonably well among the, the entire school population. Well, that sounds like a great example of the balance, right? The Giving yeah. them the opportunity to grow, but also being there as a support person, being involved in their lives and their school and their, their activities. And, you know, they know that you're invested in, in their development as well. Right. Okay. So let me let me move this along because we're talking from the standpoint of parents. But you've been in, involved in the juvenile justice system for many many years, and so there's also that side of it too. I mean, if they, these kids are doing things that are potentially breaking laws, I mean, how is the uh, how does the law approach this kind of deviant behavior with kids? Well, it's interesting. I, I think I, going back to the whole parents being involved, um, our, in Multnomah County, our case management model for young people that have gotten involved in our system is a family-based model. We require parents to be involved. Uh, we consider them experts on their children, but we also know that they are the solution to helping their young person get their needs met, turn their lives around, make better choices, uh, meeting with a probation officer out in some probation office somewhere and then sending a kid home to the same environment and not including the parent doesn't work. So I was recently in a conference in Columbus, Ohio, where a group from St. Louis County, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, presented some information about or data about the impact that having parents involved in young people's probation supervision had and what they found in this study was that if you if a young person had their parent involved in their probation supervision and their services while they were involved in the juvenile justice system their outcomes were significantly better than young people who did not have their parents involved in their probation supervision and services. So they're more likely to get involved with future crime. They're more likely to not go to school. They're more likely to not be involved in pro-social behavior. So we really believe here in Multnomah County that the parents and the family are the key to young people making behavior change and being successful and going on to become productive citizens. 
Uh, Dina, what, were they specific about what kind of involvement? I mean, is it yelling at your kids? I mean, what, what kind of involvement are they asking for? Well, here in Multnomah County, our probation officers go out to kids' homes, family homes, and meet with the parent and the young person together uh, and anybody else who's sort of important in the home. If the, say, mom has a boyfriend that lives in the home, that person will be part of it too, or grandma lives in the home or uncle or whoever, um, that really it's the approach to to probation supervision is we're all in this together. We're all working together for to, to help this teenager sort of make good choices, stay on track if they're um, using drugs or they're um, having mental health issues. We want the family to be involved in their treatment. So we don't want to have the family hand everything over to, to the juvenile services division and say, here, your problem, you fix him or whatever. We want the family to really be at the center of the whatever the plan is going to be for helping this young person get out of our system and move on with their life and not end up in the adult system, not end up homeless, jobless, a whole bunch of other bad outcomes that can happen if, if young people don't figure it out. Well, this kind of brings us back to what we were talking about before. I mean, what is a, a parent who's their kid is not necessarily showing any real signs, but I mean, sort of when do you get involved? Is it the the first time uh, Johnny comes home and he's got alcohol in his breath and you, you come down hard? Uh, what have you found? I, I think that this is a real dilemma for parents. It's like how much involvement do we do or hands off and trust? I mean, your monastery school said trust, but at the same time, we're, we're being asked to be involved, and it, it becomes very challenging, I think. Right. It is. And I actually, I remember my first real job interview I had, I was working, I ended up working in a school. And one of the questions that was asked of me was basically a scenario about, you you know, there's chaos going on in your classroom and how do you handle it? And I remember saying, well, you know, I think you don't let it get to that point, right? It's everything you do before the chaos happens that helps you to be able to deal with it if that happens. So in, when it comes to parenting, it's a lot harder to turn it on and start parenting when, you're, when your teenager's 14 or 15 years old than if you started when they were born. You've been an active, involved parent if you've set limits, if you've communicated what your hopes and dreams and expectations are for your young person, if you've you know, helped them and coached them kind of along the way, then when you have those bumps in, a ro- in the road or when things happen that aren't going the way exactly the way that you would have hoped for for your young person, it's a lot easier to deal with that. We do see parents that have been very hands-off parents for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden they find themselves in the juvenile justice system, and now we're asking the parent to to, to have house rules or to set right. some expectations or around school or around friends or around drug use or around um, a whole host of things. And it's really hard to try and start that when your teenager is a teenager if you didn't lay the foundation. Not impossible. We um, do a family therapy program in the Juvenile Services Division using the multidimensional family therapy model that's actually really good at helping families to be able to to repair relationships that may have ruptured for a whole host of reasons and really get families to be working together for for the betterment of everybody in the family, but especially their teenagers. So it's not hopeless, but it's a lot easier if you start balanced parenting parenting when they're young and not waiting until they're teenagers and making really scary choices. 
Well, I want to highlight something that you just said. And, and for uh, many uh, parents who feel like they've lost control or they didn't maybe structure things very well uh, when the kids were young, is this idea of, of therapy um, and going to kind of a third party who's, who's really got some education and helping you sort of together come to some agreed upon rules in the household, it sort of takes a little bit of the pressure off you and, and allows the kid to, to voice in. I think what happens to a lot of us as parents, it's like, it's this like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta lay the law and it's just, it's gonna be this way. And the kid's like, nope. And so there, there's a butting of heads, but that third party allows sort of a, a, a working together to get something that, not only that, but uh, it allows the child to see that you're doing this really out of their best interest. It's not something that you're doing just to be a butthead. Right. And a skilled therapist is going to make sure that they are aligned with both the parent and the young, the teenager. So they're going to help the parent see the teenager's side of things as well as the teenager see the parent side of things and be able to facilitate conversations between parent and teenager that would be really difficult to do when you're emotionally invested and you're trying to um, you're trying your best to hear what your kid is telling you and how they're experiencing the world but because you're so emotionally invested or worried about your child it's easy to not hear them and a therapist is really able to let the young person know hey this person is advocating for me also my mom needs to stop yelling at me she needs to stop hovering she needs to stop you know, tr- trying to read my every email and text and spy on me and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I think that, that a skilled therapist can really help give voice to the teenager as well as supporting the parent. Uh, that is such an important point. And I think, you know, a little while ago you mentioned the brain development of a teenager. It's something that's come up in many of the podcasts, and, and I think that a lot of parents don't realize, but the, the brain development that's occurring Literally, they don't brain that you have, and so you're you're dealing almost with in a way. I mean, this sounds silly, but you're almost dealing with a different species, you know. And, and the rules that apply for you don't apply for the kids. So to have somebody who's a professional to help both sides have that understanding and bridge the gap. Oh my gosh, what a what a wonderful, wonderful tool. And I think a lot of people think of therapy. They think, oh my God, that we can't do that, or it's things are breaking down. Oh my gosh, it couldn't be further from the truth just for, for showing an investment in the relationship and built and bridging understanding. Right. I sort of think of it like um, exercising helps you helps prevent certain diseases, right? It's not like you have to wait until you're having heart disease or some other thing going on that you start exercising. I think family therapy can actually help prevent breakdowns in family relationships and it's you don't have to wait until you have a problem or you're sick to really benefit from that sort of an intervention if you're if you're just not sure um, you're not communicating as well as you think you should be or you're um, worried about your teenager and you don't know if you really need to be or not but just having that second set of eyes can actually be really helpful yeah, and, no, and of course that goes for any relationship, any couple, uh, you and your kids, you and your uh, spouse. Oh, my gosh, it's just a leg up. And, and you're talking about communication, which is the most essential part of our, our human relationships. So having some help with somebody who's trained and can help you have a wonderful relationship, I mean, I don't see the downside. Many times uh, there's funding for it. If we don't have insurance for it, I bet there's opportunities to, absolutely. to get it. Absolutely, yeah. yes, absolutely. 
And you don't have to get involved in the juvenile justice system to, <laughs> to access those services. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, Dina, it's so wonderful. Doesn't it feel like our time went super fast? It did go super fast. I told you that was going to happen. Well, good. I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Is there anything that, uh, for people that are listening that they can find out a little more about you? Where would they go? So you can get on the Multnomah County website. It's um, multco.us, and, and there's the Adult Services Division and the Juvenile Services Division. So you can click on Juvenile Services Division and find out about all of the wonderful things, programs and, and opportunities that we provide for young people and families in our community. Which is wonderful. And is this, uh, any of it accessible like online, or is it stuff that they find out online and they uh, sign up and have to to go and participate? Um, it's stuff that you can learn about online, and then there's contact information for how to get more information or how to, to um, access services. Perfect. Dina, so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time uh, to be with me today. You're, on, you're only my second Northwesterner to be on the show, so we're representing. Wow. I feel very <laughs> special. <laughs> All right, Dina. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. What a sweet person Dina Corso is. She's just so much fun to talk to, and what a great conversation. You know, I love having these conversations with all these topic experts because guess what? I get to use all of the information for my own kids. So even if there's nobody out there listening, which that would be kind of sad, but even if there wasn't, I get to learn all this great information and use it to become a better father and a better teen advocate because that's what I am, and I know that you are too. So Good for you. Good for sticking around. Thank you for being part of this uh, movement that we've started. And um, I look forward to uh, seeing you all next week. Uh, in the meantime, if you've thought about becoming an OSHA facilitator or having powerful material that you can bring to the teens that you work with, well, you should head to OSHIF.com. Check the Become a Facilitator section and find out why we've made it super, super affordable, inexpensive, and easy to facilitate this life-changing material. And if you ever have any questions, you can email me at mark at oshift.com, and I'll answer all your questions because that's what I'm here for. Thanks again for joining me. We will have another show next week. So join us then for more, more, more. Until then, uh, stay warm, and we'll see you next week.